G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of Conversations with The Code 9. I'm your host, Tiffany Cook, and I am very excited to be bringing you today's guest. A couple of episodes ago, I believe it was episode 21, we spoke to Nick Farr. Nick Farr is one of the founders of and directors of Resilience Builders. We talked all things resilience. You guys loved it because I got a plethora of feedback about Nick. So thanks, Nick. You're amazing. And what's exciting for you guys today is I've got Nick's counterpart, David Butterfin. David Butterfin is a co-director of the Resilience Builders and equally incredible. You're going to love this chat. Now, in addition to his work with Resilience Builders, David was the director of sports science at the Collingwood Football Club for 13 years and then held the same position at the Carlton Football Club for all you AFL maniacs. So we talk a little bit of sport today. David also tragically lost his son to suicide in 2009. Since then, he has created a foundation called the Nick Foundation, N-I-C-K. You'll hear all about that, all about how he has turned adversity into advantage in his words. I absolutely adore this chat and I hope you guys do too. David Butterfant, welcome. Now, welcome to two places. First and foremost, welcome to Conversations with Code 9. But I also co-share these episodes on my show, Roll With The Punches. So welcome to both. Welcome everywhere at once. Uh, good on you, Tiff. It's good to be with you and uh, have, have this moment and uh, share some stories. Looking yeah. forward to it. I've been excited. I've been excited because I've been you've been spoken very highly of by our friend Mark <laughs> Thomas and I spoke to your one of your co-directors of the Re- Resilience Builders That's Nick it. and yes. that was amazing. You know what intrigues me is you're a co-director with Nick and then you are the founder of the Nick Foundation, NICK Foundation. I was like I is am. That- I had yeah. to go and have a rummage around and go, has that got anything to do with Nick as well? Or... <laughs> <laughs> not really. No, not at all. No, it's not. It's actually, <laughs> it's just quite fitting, isn't it, really, running, being one of the directors of Nick Foundation. No, it's a program for, for you. Yeah, I not. thought, hang on, I'm reading the wrong bio. I've pulled <laughs> Nick's bio up. <laughs> Yeah, I know he he would like that, but no, it's it's uh, nothing to do with Nick Farr. But um, he likes to think it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let him think that. We'll, we'll let him think, think that. that he's a good he's a good sort. So we'll let him get yeah, away with no, it. He's a ripper. He's a ripper. Well, I'm excited to have some time with you today because you've done some amazing things, and we'll hear a lot about all of them. So the resilience builders, we'll talk about that again because I yeah, love sure. resilience and all the mindset stuff. You spent 13 years with the Collingwood Football Club as the director of sports, yeah. and then a similar role at Carlton, and of yeah. course the Nick Foundation, which we'll hear about that as well. Yeah. Gee whiz, what a! I mean, <laughs> where did it all start? For like, what did you start in the football field in sports? Uh, well, it's I mean, it's interesting. I've always loved sport, and and I think my family being involved, you know, like got us involved into athletics and football at a very young age, and um, it was a very strong passion of, of uh, the family and myself. And then, mm. you know, then I pretty much went into a. Uh, became a PE teacher initially and I didn't last too long I lasted three years and did some further study and then really from that just born into opportunity working in in elite sport you know like um, you know I had a dabble at, at elite sport for you know um, in athletics but also in football I was at Richmond for a couple of years it didn't really go to plan but that's mm. okay um, so I went down the path of doing some more study because PE teaching wasn't for me I loved it but it, it, I needed a bit more of a challenge so and then really when I was doing some further post-grad studies, um, I had an opportunity to work at North Melbourne Football Club in the 90s, in the mid-90s. And fortuitously, um, I was kind of, you know, involved with a very highly successful team. Um, and then that's where the opportunity came, where I went off into Olympics and then from the Olympics went to Collingwood and, and it just, you know, sliding doors our life goes and just um, opportunity comes and being associated with, organizations that are successful yeah. it just builds more success i suppose so i'm very very grateful that um i was able to work in an industry that i loved um and i love coaching which i which i do a lot now um with with different you know kind of fields and businesses and so forth which i see a lot of commonality between sport and business and life yes. really yeah yes. yeah so that's a bit of an overshoot of how things come come to fruition there tiff I love that. You know, the people that are that are 
in this same curious space around human performance and potential and our minds and resilience and neuroscience. I love it because it just feels like so many of us start follow that common path of we're having some fun, we find a sport, we move our bodies, and then you just can't ignore what's underneath all of that. It just uncovers yeah. all of the other stuff. Everyone seems to come from that, you know, that unsuspecting place of, you know, playing games, playing games. Yeah. Tell me what, to a non-football um, enthusiast, what does a director of sport do within a football club? Yeah, director of sports science, and, and pretty much the name kind of changes a bit. Originally, when I was first involved, I was called head of fitness or fitness advisor, and then sports science director or high performance manager. Really, what you do, you really work collaboratively with the coach, um, you know, prescribing programs, designing programs, working closely with um, players, helping to build their capacity. You know, so really, what you do is you're putting a program together where it's holistic, you know, from a, mm. a tactical, technical, physiological, and a lot of it is physiological. Um, and there's a psychological component as well. So it's very, very holistic. So putting a program together, but looking at how we can get a, a competitive advantage um, that things that translates to performance, because really in elite sport, um, it is about winning. And you've got to put a winning formula together to, so you can actually um, yeah, sustain that level of competitiveness. So it's a really kind of... Um, you know, highly energized kind of environment. So a sports, a sports science director, a high performance manager, they deliver, but they prescribe, they plan um, and work with a lot of key stakeholders. You know, the medical team very closely. You have a strength and conditioning team as well. Work close with the coaches and yeah. obviously strong relationship with the players to building their capacity. My mind is pinging <laughs> at actually what a complex and difficult job that is and would have been more so in the past i'm sure we, we build on and we're learning along the way yeah. now so i'm sure it's yeah. a very different job today than it was back then with a very different yeah. foundation yeah. and i don't know what it was like when you got your entry into it but i feel like someone comes along plucks someone with exceptional knowledge and says okay here's a team that we need to perform better yeah uh, physically yes. and obviously mentally but but yes. here's a guy that knows about sport science and here's a team of however many blokes and here's a sport and each bloke has different potential and different injuries and different psychology and also has to play a different physical role within the team and then you have to come up with a program for one team but a whole bunch of individuals that is a lot of spinning plates. Was, did that yeah. like, just make your head blow up at the time? Or? Well, it's actually really interesting. And I think one of the things that um, that was definitely um, something that helped me was that being playing the game for a while, you know, really does help you. You understand the culture, the dynamics yourself. And, and you're right, it is you just it's not just a, a one fit kind of program that mm. just works it's very individualized we have different playing positions different personalities different physiological profiles as well and i think once you started to really work with that and building people's strengths and and obviously being conscious of their constraints as well so it becomes you know very specialized and bespoke you know so and the game itself is is continually evolving and elite sport continues to evolve so you look you need to be abreast of new innovations and and training methods that that pretty much translates to performance mm. what you do is it going to actually influence um you, the the actual outcome itself so yeah it was complex but you've got a lot of highly professional people that you come to together where you coordinate and you have that collaborativeness and mm. that collegiality which is really important but like in any business people will come together and they 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 feel that they're empowered and they can actually contribute. And that's where it's not just one person, it's, it's multiple people that come together that's, you know, attributing towards that success of an organisation. Mm. I'm going to make some assumptions here. So just correct me anytime I say something that's, <laughs> that's not okay. correct. But I'm really interested in, because you spent so long there and I feel like you would have evolved and your understanding would have evolved. What Was there a time when realising the players psychological state and emotions and backgrounds and stories and home lives and stresses were actually part of your job as the sport you know was that was there a yeah. time where you had to start going we need to be better at this in order to get the result in their physical lives 
in Asia? Yeah, no, that's a really that's a really good question, and I think that's this this really kind of relates to all fields of businesses and teams. Yeah. Is you really understand what makes them tick? You know, I think they all come from different backgrounds. They don't get to choose their, their parents. Um, some are from functional homes, some are dysfunctional homes, their different training histories and so forth. So really treat them as a person first, athlete mm. second. And it's no different to treat them you know, as a person first, employee second. Really understand what makes them tick. And then really once you know that, then you know the right stimulus that's going to evoke a change or adaptation in that person. And I think that's, and that is the key, really. I think that being understanding of of people really you need to understand what what is it going to actually create that change um and elite athletes they're highly intrinsically motivated you know mm. so they're very receptive um but you just need to provide the right tools the right stimuluses that's going to really help build their capacities that's a really good question you really you need to understand that about people um mm. before you put a program together so and I think the more you spend in that time, you start to understand initially, um, that's what we really trained it as, but you, over time, you actually build those skills up and working closely with your psychologists, your other coaches as well, that everyone comes together and you, you, it's like a jigsaw, you start putting pieces together and then yeah. you get a better, a better kind of understanding, clarity about a person. Yeah, and, the, and what I think at some point again, and a few years ago, maybe 2019, I went to the awards night for Collingwood. Yeah. Never had much to do with football, never been to something like that. But what I become a real fan in that room of the the people in there because I remember Buckley spoke, and I, I didn't know much about football or Buckley, and didn't really, you know, I'd seen whatever I'd seen in the media yeah. over the years, and I was like, eh, I don't really like that bloke. <laughs> But I listened to him speak and the way he sp and the vulnerability and the human connection and I, I get goosebumps when I think about it because I went, wow, this is a this is a living, breathing beast for humanity inside this room. But what I think is what I see, perceive as being another challenge layered upon what you do is you've it's a boys' club, so you've got all these boys that are they're, they're young and they're pulled into this system of elite sport, so they created an identity of it of a footballer and this is relevant I think especially for the code nine conversations because the same thing happens in the police force we go in we become a policeman that's our identity we put yeah. our armor on like the footballers do they put their armor on they mimic the behavior of the people around them they shut out home life because that doesn't matter because they're there to perform but what we what matters actually is the very thing we're often shutting out and that wears yeah. us down in the end yeah. And it's, re it's really interesting to me. Is that something that was in your awareness around then or is more so now? Oh, no, that's a really good point. I think that it, being a footballer just doesn't define who you are. You, I mean, you're a, you know, you, I mean, in any sport or any business, you, you know, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're a, you're a mother, you're a father, and you're wearing multiple hats. Mm. And really, and I think that unfortunately, we just see as an athlete or just see him as a coach. No, they're more, they're more than that. And I think that's one of the things when you're in an, an environment where it's so consuming, you got to realize, no, that I, I'm, I'm not just a police officer. I'm, I am a, a mother, I'm a father, mm -hmm. I'm a brother, sister, or whatever it may be. This is, this is what's really important that, okay, these, are, it's, it doesn't define who, who you really are. It's really kind of, it's understanding that and letting go of those things because Unfortunately, in sport, we think that's what defines us. No, it's, it's not really. Um, it's learning to switch off and, and let go. And that's often our ego. Um, but what you said before is that vulnerability. You know, that, um, yeah, you, you are human. It's kind of like, okay, what, what, what is it I need to do and do well so I can function well in my life, I can have fulfillment, and it's not just the sport. The winning and losing is not going to define me. No, mm. you're gonna have those moments um, th that it's gonna affect their livelihood, no doubt. Um, but you are more, you are more than that. There is more. There's more to the actual picture itself. What people see. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think not just in sport, but you know, there's a, you know, particularly being a police officer, you think, well, no, there's it's, it's very consuming. But it's how we let go of that. There's other things in our life that are really important to us that we need to cultivate as well. Mm. I love that. So when you finished up with the with the football career, yeah, um, did you know where you wanted to go next? Did you have did you, did you intentionally want to move on to something that was in your heart or? Yeah, look, being being involved well over twenty years, twenty five years, you know, kind of like you know that this is 
I had the year with the S's um, players that were um, sanctioned by WADA and they had, so I worked with them and I thoroughly enjoyed that, but that was an opportunity to get into, you know, into the corporate world in helping businesses and schools and so forth and, and, and putting some systems in place. Um, and when you run your own business, you have a lot more autonomy as well. You have your weekends start to free up a little bit more family time too. So I realized, no, and I'm very, very grateful to have a wonderful opportunity in, in football, but now of, of, you know, having my own kind of autonomy um, and I'm really pretty much doing the same thing. I'm just, I'm coaching people, delivering programs. Um, and it's just, it's, when you're in football for a long time, you can become institutionalized a little bit, you know, and that can be limiting. And the people I've met in the last probably five, five or so years, there's a lot more diversity as well. And really it's, it's the same issues come up, you know, as what I would have seen in elite sports. So um, transitioning out, yeah, it probably took a 12, 12 months. It wasn't, a, I can't say it was easy initially because you miss the locker room mentality, your friendship and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you're kind of on your own a bit, uh, yeah. which makes it a little bit, bit more challenging. But um, but now, you know, I think I'm very grateful, but I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a space now that I am thoroughly enjoy um, being involved with. Yeah. To, like talk, or what, what came first, the resilience builders? Is that, was that the next step for you? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. It was kind of like, it was, it was, um, you know, I was actually initially working with Mick Malthouse um, in, in kind of leadership programs. And then Nick Farr was at me during my footy career to run a camp over to, in the Himalayas, which he knew I was doing a lot of altitude training camps with teams mm. for a few years. And um, he, you know, he was at me. I said, look, it wasn't really the right uh, venue for elite sporting teams to go. It was we needed, you know, weight rooms, football grounds, or, you know, places where we could do the, the craft. But um, anyway, so when, when I was out of AFL, he approached me and said, look, we can run a program. And we did. We took a group of 26 people across to Everest Space Camp, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. I took my own daughter, teenage daughter across. And um, I really, I thought, well, this is an opportunity. And I thoroughly loved being involved in that environment and, and work with Nick. I said, look, there's an opportunity that we can run resilience programs for organisations, whether it's schools, whether it's families, whether it's corporates. And, and that's where how it kind of um, evolved from from that so that was 2017 um that we delivered the program um and then from there we've kind of you know we've had our kind of um you know kind of challenges with COVID and not being able to deliver a lot of these programs but we've been able to run programs online which have been highly successful for us and then a lot of face-to-face -face programs a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching too so we've been really quite fortunate really to be able to really um you know build and develop the business I love that. I love that. Um, what'd you learn in that first? I mean, did it feel, did it feel like the work you'd been doing before or was there a lot of learning from that first? Oh, geez, I tell you a lot, a lot. I am really, when you think of being so long working with in organizations, you know, you've got steady income coming in, it, you know, it's a bit of an un uncertainty, which is where's it, where's the money going to come in this month and um, dealing with clients and kind of, and selling, you know, all the, all the stuff in the, the actual behind the scenes stuff was poor. It was, it was foreign, you know, it was a bit scary initially. I can actually do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> But but then when you start to realize, oh look, I've have, I've coached for a long time. I've actually lived in that environment for a long time. I know what it's like. I live the practices that I actually preach. Um, so so really, it wasn't difficult to talk about and share, and then help people understand and facilitate that process. And really, it's just providing perspective and facilitating, which I've done for a long, long time with with elite athletes and coaches. So it's kind of like no. I, you know, I can do this. So really it was a bit of trepidation initially running mm. a business and so many things you, that I wasn't foreign to. Um, and it doesn't matter how much university stuff you do, you, you've got to go off and do it yourself and, and apply it. So yeah, I'd say the first 12 months, 18 months was a bit, it was pretty challenging initially. Yeah. How's your own, like amidst all of that, I love talking about imposter syndrome because, yeah. <laughs> because especially in things like, so you're rolling out resilience programs how often is your own resilience and your own practices and the ebbs and flows of that in your awareness? How often does that come up and, and bite you or? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good point. And you do feel it. And it's kind of like, it's, it's being able to intervene quickly when you feel that kind of, you know, that apprehensiveness, you know, and this is where, hang on a minute, 
I'm, I'm actually conscious of this. What do I need to do? This is, this is stuff from self-coaching. You need the narrative that you create yourself, the rituals and routines and habits that I have in place. Now, keep doing that. I'm not going to deviate. These are things that have actually enabled me to be successful in what I've done in my family life and relationships and work and so forth. So I, I really, I stuck to those things. If anything, I started to work those things a lot more. Um, and then, you know, surrounding your, your people who are supportive to you as well. So, it's kind of not deviating. It's just refining some of those micro behaviors in yourself that build that resilience and that performance in you. So I really was conscious of that. And, and that's what enabled that momentum to keep going. Because you, of course you have self-doubt, everyone has that, but it's how we mitigate that. And we kind of keep that momentum going in, our, in ourselves. Mm. Talk to me about some of the tools or universal tools or maybe tools that are different like when people are listening right now and they're like well i wouldn't mind getting a bit more resilient what are some of the things yeah. you've learned what are some of the things you teach and what are maybe are there misconceptions are there things that might look like universal things but probably aren't great for everybody yeah that's a really good point and i, I don't think that's one or two things that makes you resilient i think that's there's a whole host of things that we really work on and things i've done for a long long time and you know and it's kind of like it sounds a bit cheesy but it's kind of there, there are four things i really work on that's the physical stuff which i've done all my life you know the, the, what you eat how you sleep how you exercise um which is really important and these are things i do every day um and then there's the emotional side of things like I'm big in the meditation mindfulness. So I do that twice a day. It's something that's part of me. I've been doing that for, you know, 13 years consistently. You know, visualization, I've been doing it for 20, 30, 30 odd years. I've been doing that for a long time. Um, things like journaling, you know, self-positive talk or self-coaching. That's that's really important. That self kind of monitoring and self-regulation. And then there's a social part where family, community, relationships, connection, sense of belonging, that stuff is really important that helps to build your resilience and the last one is the spiritual you know it's it's kind of developing those you know, kind of traits of warm-heartedness compassion kindness gratitude self-control patience and it's really when you bring those all those things together then it starts to actually build a resilience in you so when adverse is upon you these are the things that can buffer that adversity and they're really just basically their habits. Their habits that we all know about, but these are things that it actually that becomes a tissue of who you are, really. Mm. And I think that's these are things that got me through the tough times. And um, and I, it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, it's, it's just little habits you do. You've probably done for a long time, um, and you just build, keep building upon those things. You just keep refining them, and then you just add it. A, an extra one in here and there so yeah those four things physical emotional social and spiritual they're the things i kind of work on regularly do i do them well uh, okay i do them regularly i do them but you can get better at doing them um and that's that's i would say tiff these these are the things that we we teach um but these are things that, that i do you know i don't make them up this is stuff i do regularly and I, and I feel it's really helped me and i don't force this upon anyone but i try to we actually empower people. You choose, just choose from the menu what you'd like to do, have a go at doing it. And then that helps to find a better version of yourself. Great. You know, um, because what we do know, shit is going to hit the fan at some stage in your life. And then what's going to get you through that? You know, mm -hmm. so, so that basically these are things that are the hard things we do gives us an easier life. The easy things we do, yeah, gives us a harder life. You know, we can sit back on the couch, have a slab, you know your packet of uh, barbie shapes and just do that that's that's going to give us a harder life we know that but mm. when you think now nah, i got to get up early got to do my training got to, these are things i need to do we know that's going to give us that that ability to keep that momentum happening in our life um so yeah this is what we this is what we really kind of adhere to and, and what we do ourselves and we try to help people to put those practices in place the hardest part is how we get these things ingrained into habits the micro behaviors how do we and that's that's the key what really the key is really how we embed these into our cadence of life yes yeah do you reckon like, do you have a mentor do you or do you have a coach or do you have like who who plays those roles I, yeah that's a good well i think look i think having having a close family and your kids and your wife and 
can open tell you where you're at and what you're doing. And even your mates do it as well. Yeah. You know, they might say, come on, let's put your head in. Um, but would you would you love? You know, you kind of like, yeah, you have close friends you can that can do that as well. Yeah, during during my career in sport, I had a few mentors that supported me, you know, and and people leaders that actually would openly give you feedback and you solicit feedback with them as well. So I was very grateful to have that too. So yeah. um, your peers, your leaders, you work with, and then outside, you need people outside um, your work too that can actually provide some support. It's very, very hard to do it by yourself. You need people yeah. that can actually can, you know, just listen, you know, yeah. that can ask the right questions and that helped to kind of facilitate that kind of that perspective for you. Yeah, that's a good point, Tiff. I think we all need some support around us. Yeah, I feel like what one of the trickiest things could be, and it can be both a push-pull of, of kind of what you're comfortable seeking or, yeah. or and what pu- role people are comfortable playing, but it's the ability to find the, what we term unreasonable friends. So the friends that yeah. don't, they're not your fan club, they're not, not your cheer squad sitting no. by just, you know, like saying the thing that's comfortable to support you emotionally, but yet to give you the emotional growth and maybe push you into, you know, it's because I've found the biggest growth from me has come from being able to sit, whether it's with a coach or someone, you know, professionally where I am made accountable for things or you're having those more difficult conversations. Um, I feel like those are where changes come or resilience is built or boundaries are are set or realized or you know Mm. and that can be difficult because we choose i feel like we choose on a really unconscious level you know we've got our confirmation bias and i i spend even especially this year to be honest i spend a lot of time just deliberately having a look at who i'm who i've chosen to be around me and there's a few people I've quite deliberately chosen but in my in this career space and in this kind of so I'm very aware of that but I was like hang on let's have a look at Tiff's personal life and I just want to put all of the people I've chosen under the microscope and I just want to see if any anything pops out as being um, a pattern and does that reflect a pattern of something that I'm trying to change? I was talking to someone, look, to be honest, I was talking to my therapist last week on a particular thing. And I said, look at the people I'm choosing to have in my social life. And then I've got this, I go, like, nobody goes to the boxing gym expecting to walk out a ballerina. Like, mm-hmm. what am I immersing? Who am I surrounding myself with? And what result am I looking for? Because I think we just have that, that confirmation bias. That's always at play. Yeah. And... No, that's 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 a that's a really valid point and there's a few strong words you use there is that you know accountability and a realization of honesty and open kind of feedback that comes your way and i think people who can actually shine that light on that um and give you some more clarity where what you're doing well and what things you need to get better at and it's often i'm sure whoever you use it's usually the questions they give to you that enlightens you. You know, mm. I think not necessarily the answers, oh, Tiff, you need to do this and this, but they ask the question, come on, what do you need to do? And what's going to keep you kind of on those tram tracks to ensure that you're doing this, that accountability kind of um, angle. So, yeah, and, I, and it's, there is discomfort associated with that, but that's what you want that's going to build your growth in yourself. Um, and good friends are, are prepared to, call it and people you know they can can call it sometimes and um and because most people don't like what confrontation they don't like that discomfort so they, they kind of move away from that but it's from that um taking the emotion out of and keeping it kind of very specific to what you're doing that can that's that's where you get your growth yourself yeah you know mm. that's i think you've raised some good points there we we have a we have a kind of cognitive bias you know and this is and, and we kind of lean towards that. There's a supportive and it's kind of affirming, but really we need that kind of that mirror th- thrown in front of us regularly. Hey, this, these are validating things we're doing well, but these are some things you can get better at. What is it you need to do? Yes. You know, I noticed it this year, I'm, I've been on a huge journey of self-awareness and change and, you know, the conversations I have on this, this show have just changed my internal world so much. But, I, you know, there were a couple of times over the last year or so where I would go to a close friend and go, I'm feeling irritated about this, in, you know, in 
with, with a particular person and I only want to tell you because you don't know the person and they're a really good person but this is how I'm feeling. So I felt incongruent that I was having this emotional stuff come up but I actually, it, it didn't fit with what I knew the person and the relationship was and the way it felt in a working sense and it was interesting. What I noticed was that that I didn't like was how often these people would kind of take my side and go, oh, that person's... And I'm like, no, 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 you don't know that person. And I'm telling you, they're an amazing person. This is... I'm, I just want to speak this out loud to someone because I kind of need to get it out because it's, it's inside me and it's going to fester. Yes. But... And it's not... <laughs> I don't know, like it's not, it's not a truth, but I need to figure out why it's coming up for me. Like it's my, it's my junk. I've got some junk. Yes. So yes. let's not, don't, don't put anything on the other person that I'm putting my junk on because I know yes. it's my junk, but people still with great intentions <laughs> want to back me up and go, yeah, they shouldn't do that. That's shit. Or they should do, <laughs> be more like this. And I'm like, no, they shouldn't. I'm not getting what I want out of the, you know, like. <laughs> I don't want you to back back me and, and be against them. So I find that really interesting. But, God, that takes a, a ridiculous level of self-awareness that that comes at a different stage of life. Like I, I never had that before. I was very reactive to my emotions and I'd throw them at anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 a good point in itself is that you're obviously building that self-awareness and consciousness and taking the judgment away. And when people come in and make a judgment you're not looking for advice you're really looking at all right tiff if that person does this to you they're saying things that could be abrasive to you what do you need to do yourself <laughs> so really in a way it's a, it's a reflective kind of moment and that's yes. self-awareness so it's kind of like yeah you, you don't want yeah that person's a, you know an asshole or whatever no how that's obviously affecting you what do you need to do yeah and that could and you might come up oh, well, i need to say five seconds to myself and reflect okay this is and really in a way that's that's probably that's what good coaching is about is yeah. empowering the person to actually take ownership of how they how they're going to respond but that's what i'm hearing in you is that it's self-awareness you're becoming conscious of how you how you're responding yeah yeah how long are people when people come and and do you know do their resilience courses and things with you how long do they spend with you how much i mean do you get the time you need what are the yeah, challenges? Is, yeah, that's a great question, too, because it's not just for one a one presentation. You kind of go off and feel yeah, fluffy <laughs> and, and it, it doesn't translate. You, you know what? You've got to create some rigor and framework around really building, building consistent behaviors and changing those micro behaviors. You know, we, we run programs where they're like um, yeah, five, 10 week programs where they're modules touching those kind of pillars I spoke about. And then really the key learning occurs, not in the delivery of those programs, it's actually what they do during the week. What things have they actioned? What things, and then going back and reflect, how do they go? What do they do? Um, and sticking sticking to those processes. It's really the practice and, and the consistency that builds that kind of confidence in yourself. Um, and that's what's really important here. Choosing what they want, why do they want to do it? And then and basically being conscious of, What's the outcome they're going to get once they do this behavior? And then also conscious of what's the obstacles that's going to derail them from doing it as well. So, yeah, I, I think in a way, and resilience is a, is a continuum. You know, this is not just something that happens overnight. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've done this, these two or three <laughs> things over six weeks, I'm resilient. Bullshit. You've really got to go yes. through your tough times. And, and the ones who have got through it, that becomes a reference point for it. Yeah, I'm actually... I, you know, I am becoming a bit more resilient. Um, it's like, are you building yourself a winner? That's part of it as well. But um, yeah, it's, we, we run, we run programs. I think what's really powerful in some of the things that we do, particularly ex the experiential stuff where we take them away out of their comfort zone. And we, you know, we deliver things over in Tassie because we've done a lot of domestic stuff for the last couple of years. And we're doing one next week, the Cradle Mountain. Um, the, the, it's my the homeland. Winner. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, it's. I love it. It's, I love it. It's beautiful. It's, it's just a fantastic environment, and we do stuff where we take people out of their comfort zone. There's perceived risk. There's uncertainty with that. They truly invest into that. Yeah. Do things like caving. You know, where if they're claustrophobic, they don't like it. Canyoning. We do that. We do hikes, reflection, cold water immersion, meditation. But they're doing things where they're really. Uh, um, 
minimizing those distractions, those daily distractions, and they are totally in the moment, absorbed in the moment and the environment. Now, when people are in that environment, that's when they start to actually reflect on themselves and then become present and they start building some mm. of the tools they have to become resilient. That's where I think you can really build some resilient stuff. You do your stuff. We learn it in the classroom, but we really build it in, in the outdoors. That's, that's, our, that's our motto. Um, and we're doing one with Code 9 with, with uh, Tomo's group. Awesome. We're doing the overland trip, you know, in June, which is going to be bloody tough. You know, it's going to be hard for some of them. Um, it's going to be cold, you know, so it's going to be challenging for them. But that's where, no, nah, they're up for it. You said before, it's actually the discomfort stuff where you learn the most. Really, yes. that's where you're going to get your growth. So putting your hand up, yeah, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to expose yourself to discomfort. That's where growth's going to occur. So that's when you use the tools. So what what I'm what I'm really referring to, it's actually doing in the doing. It's where you're going to learn and build your resilience. Yeah. You know, it's not what you read. It's not what university degree you do. It's the online stuff. Yeah, it, it just gives you a little bit of guidance, but it's actually in, in the doing. You're going to build it. As you were talking about that and I was thinking about it, because I'm thinking about specifically about first responders because they're living in these worlds of being switched on um, yeah. and kind of emotionally dissociated for so long. So they're in a high state of, of discomfort anyway. So I'm thinking about... Yeah. How do we build resilience? We go and we immerse ourselves in discomfort. So you've got someone that's lived in chronic discomfort and emotional turmoil for a long time, so much so that they're actually switched off from it. And then we're going yeah. to ask them to go and get uncomfortable, you know, like put yeah. more stress on an already overstressed system. But what kind of came to my mind as I was thinking that was it's almost a retraining of the on-off switch of stress. It's the yeah. Because when we do the things that we do in resilience building by choice, yeah. We have a very definite step into the moment. You become completely present because you can't be anywhere else. And then the moment is over. You step away and you relax and you reflect and you recover, which is something that I think gets missed in that chronic state of first responders where they, yeah, they step away from it, but rather than process and reflect and grow, we suppress, we suppress, dissociate and forget yeah. about it. And, and, you know, it's, it's buried somewhere. It's coming up. Yeah, that's 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 a very pertinent point to raise here. It's being able to flick the switch um, because if you're always wired and that, that kind of that, you're in that flight or fight response, and that's called acute stress. But if you don't if you don't actually um, able to mitigate and, and turn that amygdala down, um, you're not going to get that uh, equilibrium. You know, what yeah. we call it, from a physiological point of view, homeostasis. And then it just turns into chronic and all, all of a sudden you, things start to actually fracture around you, you know, health starts to deteriorate. And it's really interesting, the research around it's pretty supportive. And that's where a lot of the interventions we talk about, and we have part of that brain, it's in the limbic system, it's called the amygdala, which you've probably heard of, yeah. that causes this cascade of this neural physiological responses, you know, adrenaline goes up, heart rate, you know, so we, we know that ventilation goes up, you know, the blood goes to working muscle, that's flight and fight. Now that's always firing. Um, you're not really, you know, kind of having a chance to restore and rejuvenate and recalibrate. Mm. So you need to bring these tools in so you can actually dial the, the amygdala down, the limbic system, turn the prefrontal cortex on. And that influences those neurotransmitters. You have things called, sorry, back in going too scientific. Here, I love scientific. So yeah, I'm geeking yeah. out, keep it okay. up coming. So look, you have these excitatory neurotransmitters, you know, at, and this, and we know that, but we've got to cool the jets. And to do that, we need to bring the inhibitory neurotransmitters in, um, serotonin, acetylcholine, GABA. You know, these are things that we need to do. And we know through things like good sleep, mindfulness, switching off, self-reflection, if it's, you know, positive self-talk, we need that calming element in ourselves so we can restore and regenerate particularly people working in environment where they feel wired they're ready and you need hey at times we need to jack up our adrenaline so if you know we we can perform but other times we need to dial it down so we can recover and rejuvenate and and that's and that's the key but often when people are jacked up what do they use they use maladaptive traits 
the mask, it's like a band-aid. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it might work for short term, but long term it doesn't. It has this kind of deleterious effect on it on ourselves. So yeah, that's and that's that's the, the trouble when when elite sport the same, we've got to be able to bring it down, get back to normality, homeostasis, mm. and calm ourselves down. Mm, I love that. It makes me think of back when years ago, first moved to Melbourne, I was working in hospitality and yeah. and I thrived and performed so well under pressure. If we were understaffed and had a full house and things were manic and stuff was going wrong, I would switch on. I was like, that was my thing. I was like, I am wicked under pressure. Like, come at me. But, you know, when I got into back into corporate work and over the time and then I got into boxing, you know, I was just and I was staying busy and I was overloading the system. And then all of a sudden there become this point where I was like, I remember I used to say that I was great under pressure, but I'm not now, right? There's not closing the cafe at the end of the day and all the problems go away. When you're working corporate and you, and you work in real life and you live in real life, mm. those systems stay turned on to a certain level. So of course your, your capacity to reach the high level. And I noticed that, I noticed that, um, that change. It was like, oh, mm. but you know, then it takes, decades mm. of just yeah, pushing on before you go all right there's right the the body and the mind cannot keep up with this we got to go back um, and relearn yeah that's that's right and i think and we know that 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 kind of that whole neural plasticity we, we know we can alter and change mm. the brain and we and the research shows that the morphology of the brain does change and and really it's being able to you don't want to be wired all the time we're not always looking for that dopamine fix there's got to be times in the day where you need some stillness yeah. and, and, and we need that calmness because really when we get that stillness, that's our opportunity to become reflective. And then when we're reflective, we could therefore become more strategic in our life. Yes. Whereas otherwise we, we stop, we don't really get a chance to become strategic. We just, we're just on the dance floor all the time, just you know, cutting our moves on the dance floor. We just got to get off the dance floor, get on the balcony, look down ourselves and become reflective. And that's what improves our self-awareness. So, yeah, and that makes sense what you're talking about. You're kind of like, you're jacked up. I love this pressure. This is fantastic. But no, you just need to dial things down so we can function and still perform well, but then we're able to restore and regenerate at the same time. Yes. And when you look closely, it's it's prevalent in all areas of your life. Like I'm always on the lookout for it now, just in terms of how much am I rushing when there's nothing to rush for? How yes. fast, yeah. like I'm always been someone that accelerates fast when I'm driving or I'm in a rush to get somewhere. And I'm like, lately, I just go, we're in such a rush for. Yeah. Like how yeah. fast, do you know how many dishes I smash when I'm <laughs> rushing? to? And lately I'm just like, you've broken so much crap in your life because you're like, what is the rush? Yes. There's, nothing, there's no time schedule here. <laughs> Yeah, this is, and that's usually, and that's a really good point. It's the internal narrative that we use to ourselves. It's not the event that affects us. It's it, it's the internal narrative that influences our thoughts, that influences the emotions and our physiology. Yeah, and really, it's kind of it's catching ourselves. It's that self regulation where we catch ourselves, change the narrative, and then all of a sudden we then we have an ability to remain pragmatic and calm mm. um, because. And this is I'm talking about how we can how we can manage ourselves and we can perform at a at a at a reasonably kind of calm level. It's that narrative, internal narrative, but that requires, you know, self-coaching, self-monitoring, you know. Yeah. And then once we do that, then we start to build self-mastery. You know, yeah. we, we feel that these are things that I can control in my life. This other stuff's out of my control, it's inconsequential. Um so what you're saying is, oh, I'm just rushing, rushing, rushing. But when you notice that, what is it you need to do yourself? Calm when you're noticing that, down. what do you have to do? Yeah, take your breath. Yeah, be, pre- be present. Like it's always this rush to get to the next moment. And that has been so deeply ingrained that it's there when there is no next moment to rush to. You know, that's, that's, there's, your, there's your answer. You know, yeah. that basically it's using that narrative to yourself. There's no, there's no need for that rush. Things, things will pass. This too will pass. You know, whatever you say to yourself. Yeah. Um, or we exacerbate it. I've got to bloody get here. I'm running late. This is terrible. Oh, the traffic shit out or whatever it may yeah. be. No, no, that, that kindness and compassion to yourself and, and then letting go. Yeah. 
And I think if we ask and ask and ask and ask ourselves, there is something underneath. Like there's what it like. I think it takes a bit of self-exploration to realise, well, what is, mm. you know, yep, I've gotten the habit of that, but what is the strong belief or message that has been driving that behaviour for all of these years? Because until yeah. I get to that, mm. I am just going to be fighting the pull of just continue. I'm just continuing, let me try again. I'll be continuing to put the brakes on when I've already started accelerating. It'll just, you know, and that is tiresome in itself. That's right. That becomes really arduous. And I think, you know, that self-exploration is really important. And it's been kind to self because usually when things don't go away, we can actually sabotage ourselves mm. and, and then things like guilt and shame can come into it, which can affect us. Mm. But it's often just, hey, I'm enough. Yeah. I'm enough. And, and things may not go away. That's okay. And it's it's changing that inner voice and how we, and we use that, our name as like third person. We could just, how we self-coach. Tiff, this is okay. I can get through this. This is all right. This will pass. Mm. And really it's, but that takes time and practice. And this is habit and how we shift that. Um, because really in a way it's that shame and guilt or that kind of narrative that we use can sabotage or hijack our ability. To really to not get into the present we just we speculate and embellish and that uh, that can really affect how we how we actually respond so um but it's that self-exploration i like that that self-reflection yeah what, what am i what, this is not helping me i don't yeah. need to do this stuff mm. <laughs> right before we run out of time tell us a little bit about the nick foundation yeah. Okay. So Nick Foundation is uh, it's a program that we you know deliver you know, to youth and families. Um, it was kind of born out of the loss of my son who took his life uh, twelve years ago. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's um, look. It was devastating in the family, but look, we, as a family, we we were able to move through that. And you know, and I'm I'm you know confident to say that a lot of things that I've talked about today are things that we've used ourselves. And um, you know, he was the eldest of four kids, and and I I could say in the last twelve years, we, we we have been able to have joy and fulfillment in our lives, and we and things don't go our way in life, and that's for a lot of people. And and really, but you can you can go forward with life, and I think this is a choice, and it really comes from my wife Maria that you know she said when he did pass, we've got a choice here, you know, do we get better or do we get bitter about this? And we really chose, we can get better, you know, as a family in life. Um, and, you know, we're, so we thought the program that if we can share stories and help youth um, because we know mental health is on the rise mm -hmm. um, and if we can give hope to people um, and it's not, we're not talking about a numbers game, but if it's just one kid that we you know we sponsor to go across the Himalayas or over the Tassie with their mum and dad, um, and then they go away and build their toolbox, that's, that's, that's really quite powerful. So, um, you know, we run, we've, we've delivered, you know, and we used to do a lot of uh, performing art shows. A lot of kids in the community would come and run shows. Mm. My wife is the director of that, you know, so it was, that was a lot of fun, probably eight of those. But now we've just sponsored kids and, and uh, with their mum and dad to come on a program um, with us, um, which is which is fantastic. We're only a very small charity, but um, we've been going for yeah, 12 years now. Um, you know, so we're, we're not a big charity. It's hard to run charities. It's a very, very competitive field, but we, we deliver programs for kids who are in need. You know, we've had kids who have lost parents. Um, they've had their own challenges and we bring them, bring them onto a program like this where they've got tools to add to their toolbox that's going to help them because when challenges do come, hey, I can get through this mm. um, in life. And, and I think that's, we really believe that's really important because a lot of our youth um, have challenges, but they're the future for us. You know, we have to, we have to invest and support and guide. And, and so that's, that's what we do, Tiff. And, um, you know, we've you know, we got a very small board, but we're very passionate about what we do. And if we can just help, some kids were struggling out there. That's 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 our aim and our philosophy to give them give them hope. So it's an acronym. Nick Foundation is nurture, independence, commitment, and knowledge, and they're kind of the themes that we kind of work on. Um, but now we pretty much just sponsor kids who come on the experiential kind of programs. Well, that is, it's so commendable, and it's and it's such an inspiration to hear that you can turn something 
as hard as what you went through into something with lifelong purpose where now that has the ability to fill you up. Yeah, you know? that's, so, yeah, that's it's interesting tip because this is one of the things when talking about resilience and I don't say I'm resilient to any other person out there, but I, what I can say that, you know, the tools I've shared with you today are things that we've done ourselves and we've lived we really felt we have lived a resilient life and it hasn't, it hasn't been necessarily easy, but we really believe you can turn, not everyone can do this, but you can turn adversity into advantage. Mm -hmm. You can do that, you know, and I think that for whatever trauma people who are listening today to this, you, you can turn this around. There is hope and it's, you know, and it's, and it's really in a way it's finding the tools that work for you. And I think whatever pit of pain that you're in, you know, mm -hmm. what is it, the ladder, the tool that's going to get you out of that pit of pain? Yeah. And basically, um, the things I've shared today, these are things that we've used and we continue to use to be able to move through life because we're all obligated and entitled to have some joy in our life. Mm. And that's what we put our hands up. We want, we yeah. want that, but we have yeah. to work at those things to get those things. So, yeah, you can, you can, you, you, everyone can do it. It doesn't matter what age what gender that's irrelevant you know we all can we all can actually get that but these are the things that would actually work and basically this is not news this is not this is something we've been going for thousands of years you know i, I go back to the stoics and the bloody this is stuff has been this has been around for you know thousands of years really but we we kind of deviate we want we want a quick fix sometimes <laughs> it's not a quick fix unfortunately i wish there, i wish there was i really when i see families and people in pain i wish there yeah. was but unfortunately there's not there's just a the little kind of behaviors you've got to do regularly and keep working on those things yeah yeah how do your participants find you or how do you find your participants for that foundation oh well it's interesting you know we kind of um you know, we've got a cohort of people and we kind of like just for our probably network that we people come to us and say, look, you know, we've had some issues or difficulties here. Okay, we're running a program. We, you know, we'd like to, you know, partly sponsor you to do this. Um, so we've got to, you know, look really in a way we don't, we don't do a lot of advertising these days. It's we're running a small board, um, a small organisation, but usually we kind of like, we have a website, we have an in, Instagram, but you know, it's, it's really just our kind of community and network of you know, people that we've known over the years and, and their kids who have struggled or thought, or kids who've actually done a lot of volunteer work and not wanting any, but these kids, I think, well, they're the future of our community. Could be 14, 15 year olds. And, hey, why don't you come on board and this is going to build you and you can help. And uh. then, transcend into other kids as well so brilliant that's so brilliant well done no no worries well Did done well how can people um how can people reach out follow you where on socials are yeah, you yeah so resiliencebuilders.com.au that's 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 our website we're on linkedin so you know so basically um you know this is this is where most of you know our programs in schools and co the corporate world um, that we deal with the, the online stuff. We do one-on-one -on -one coaching. We do we do a lot of stuff where for you know for youth, uh, corporates, the high-level corporates, leaders, and teams as well. So we run you know, the experiential kind of programs. We run the online programs, and we do face-to-face. -face. And COVID has been difficult. The goalposts have changed quite a few times, but that we love the face-to-face. -face, but we realise now it's a lot harder. So you know we're developing online programs um, now, so which we can hit a bigger audience and, and a self-paced learning. It's just, it's just the next wave. So we're in the process of, of creating one ourselves. So, and we've got a lot of online programs. So you can go to our website and have a look what we're delivering and what we do. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. No, good on you. Yeah, me too, Tiff. No, thank you. And been, been a, you know, it's been good fun having a chat as well. It's always nice to talk about things you love. Doing, oh, so, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. Cheers, mate. <laughs> good on you, Tiff. Have a good one. Take care.